everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. Here we are in studio. I'm Christopher, your host, and with me, of course, is Matt. Hey. Welcome back. Now, we're actually kind of recording um, a little sooner than we usually do, a little less time in between recordings. So not a lot has happened. We haven't let a lot happen as far as news, which is good because we have a massive letter to read later on. Um, but I hope this week has gone well for you. I understand you did something kind of fun the other day. Uh, just yesterday. Um, had an all-day movie marathon. Uh, didn't have a theme. Wasn't anything. Just you know, felt like having people over rather than doing like another game night or anything. I just right. I just want to sit on the couch and just have some good people around. <laughs> I want to be lazy, but I want to be lazy with friends. Yes. <laughs> so uh, over the course of like eleven hours, we got through five movies. Excellent. I think is a good chunk. That's not bad. Yeah, we could figure movies or anything from around and have to two hours a piece. Plus, you got to take got to take breaks, the breaks. You right. got to get some food. Exactly. Got to so, talk about things as they have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh, we started with my most favorite summer movie, Jaws. Nice. Oh, which I, I hadn't sat down to watch in a while. Watched that in a long time. It's probably been a good like ten years since I've seen that. Yeah. Start oh, to easily, finish. easily. And I just kept marveling. I was like, this movie is still a master class in cinematography and structure. It just there's no wasted scene, mm-hmm. and there's just so many things that Spielberg was doing right, and like right from the start, like after the big shark attack, and. Chief Brody finds the body on the beach. Mm-hmm. There's nobody that like comes out and says, but Chief, it's the 4th of July coming up. Instead, he's walking through town and you just see the big banner that just says 4th right. of July celebration. And you're just learning what's going on from what you're seeing. And it's just great to Not see Not a lot all of that. verbal exposition. It's right. just let the scenes, let yeah. the setting tell the story. You know, and it's like Spielberg doesn't even do that anymore. It's so <laughs> he lost the, sad. He lost the gift. Yeah. And I discovered something that blew my mind. The production company, that some bad hat Harry, is a line in that movie. Really? The part where he's sitting on the beach and he's just learned that there's been a shark attack and he all of a sudden sees like this black figure like just peek out of the water mm-hmm. and it's just some old guy with a black swimming cap on mm-hmm. and then that guy comes back on the beach and starts talking to the chief and he just looks at him and he goes that's some bad hat harry and i was like wait a minute that <laughs> that's came nice. from something i thought that's... that was just made up right and so when you ever see that production logo you see a shark fin in the in the water you see oh, the two guys on the nice. beach you see the guy with the black cap on and i'm like this makes so much sense now, and I had no idea nice. that they pulled that from Jaws. Added two and two. There you go. Yeah. That's like I, cool. I looked at my wife, and I was like, did you know that? She goes, yeah, you didn't. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, did you just kind of have a pile of films, or did everybody bring something? Or People brought stuff, and we just sort of was like, all right, who wants to watch something next? And I, everybody was like afraid to make a bad suggestion. Mm. And I was like, just anything. People brought movies, and then they like weren't standing by them. They were like, oh, oh if you want to. And I was like, yeah. let's put something on. So the next thing we watched was Mystery Men. Oh, Because I needed to do my homework. Get that in. Excellent. <laughs> um, after that, we watched Deadpool 2, mm, the okay. um, extended edition. I haven't seen that one yet. It's great. I like it more than the first one. Oh, okay. I think it's funnier. I think the action's better paced, and it's less of a villain for villain's sake. Like, there's really something going on. Okay, good, good. Because, I mean, the first Deadpool I I enjoyed to a point. And then I was like, okay, I'm counting the the same jokes getting old. Right, and they weren't doing that as much. All right, cool, Um, cool. You know, Cable's a great villain, but he's not really the villain. And so, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. Domino, best character in the movie. Excellent. Um, after that, we watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I'm trying to think, uh, I think I, that one went by me. I Jason Siegel, um, Mila Kunis. It's mm-hmm. about the guy who breaks up with his girlfriend and then he can't get over her, and he decides to just go have like a, a, a vacation in Hawaii. She's there with her new boyfriend, of course. But it's written by Jason Siegel, and he's a really good writer. He's very right. funny. He wrote the new uh, The Muppets movie. Oh, the, right, 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 right. The okay. one that he was in with yeah. uh, Amy Adams. So, right. Yeah, he's a very good Which writer. Which I enjoyed. I yeah. enjoyed The Muppets. I mean, right. it wasn't perfect, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. So he wrote this, and it's just, you know, very vulgar humor, but with good timing. Excellent. And then after that, we finished off with um, Hell or High Water. So we ended on just like a really good drama. Okay. Yeah. So it was a really good evening, a lot of fun. 
Excellent. Uh, good. A lot of junk food. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Now you don't sit there and watch movies and eat a salad. You exactly. Know. <laughs> you, you need the chips. You need the popcorn. You need the and a bowl of wings. candy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. That sounds like a great time. It's a great idea, and that, it's something that I think more people should do. That. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just have friends over and just bring a flick. Right. And we'll watch it. You know, if it's one you like, you don't think anyone's going to like. You never. You never know. Right. Yeah. Pick a short one. If no one likes it, hey, it's over an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Perfect. But I even said to people like, well. We've got multiple TVs. If you don't like it, pick another movie, go in the back, watch yeah, something back go. there. Nobody took me <laughs> up on it. two parties. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess we should um, – oh, I didn't give any contact information. I suppose I should do that. Well, Who I, are we? I did mention that we have, we have a letter to read later, so I should mention how that letter got to us. Any feedback or anything, timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Join our Facebook group, facebook.com, search for timeshifterspodcast. And, of course, just go to timeshifterspodcast.com for links to just about everything. You can follow us on Twitter at timeshifterspod and at movies at the mat. All right. Now I got the official stuff out of the way. Uh, we do have at least at least one news story that you said you had today that you came with. So to the news desk, Matt, what's going on? Um, you know, our favorite, you know, superhero stuff. Um, it was announced that in the upcoming CW DC TV crossover, which will be over the shows of uh, Flash, Green Arrow, and Supergirl, Tyler Hecklin will come back to reprise his role as Superman. Oh, good. So good. he'll be. I in, liked him. He'll, oh, yeah, nice. he'll be in all three episodes, and they haven't announced who will be playing her yet. But Lois Lane will be there too. Really? Yes. So we have not seen her. We've seen her sister, right? right. In the Supergirl. Yes. Yeah. So I think that'll be interesting. But what people are pointing out is, well, so now you're going to have a crossover that's going to have Superman, mm-hmm. Supergirl, the Green Arrow, the Flash. And if you bring any of like their sidekicks or the other people on their shows, you're going to have Elongated Man, Black Canary, Martian Manhunter. What does this sound exactly like to you? It sounds like CW is going to do a better Justice League. Than Justice, <laughs> than League. Justice League. Yeah, this is a great lineup. It's a great bunch of heroes. You're going to have Flash and Superman on screen together. If they don't have a race, I'm going to be real bummed about that. (laughs) But Grant Gustin has said, oh, no, 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 there's going to be some epic scenes with Flash and Superman. And I'm like, great. Look for the you know fall lineup 2020 <laughs> Justice I, League. I'm in. <laughs> I, you know they could do that. It's like an eight episode run. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, you like, don't have to put a lot of no. No, don't don't make it. Don't feel like you have to do the full 22 right. episodes. Give, give us one story. Yeah, just, something right, and just run with that one villain, one thing, one problem. Deal with instead of a crossover, just do eight episodes. Do of it that. as a, a, a mid season series or yeah. something. Something to just kind of fill the gap or something. Right, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd keep the actors busy. Year-round, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not much vacation time, but just up the pay a little bit. They're not going to complain too much. Right. <laughs> and I'll do anything to see more of Tyler Hecklin as Superman. He, he was, was really excellent. good. He it was, was great as Clark Kent. He mm-hmm. was great as Superman. They were very distinct. He was funny, but he was also still kind of like, you know, dorky Clark Kent, but he was still confident Superman. It was, was wonderful to see. Yeah. And it would be nice to see. I think – well, I won't get into all that. We'll talk about some of the – DC shows maybe some other time. Okay. But yeah, I look forward to that. I'm, I'm going to kind of pull the curtain a little bit. We had actually finished recording, this, although you're going to be hearing this in the middle. This just broke it pretty much as we were wrapping up our recording, so we wanted to throw it in here. We just found out that legendary writer Neil Simon has passed away uh, at the age of 91. Uh, his career goes back to the 40s, uh, t- writing for television and then ended up you know writing for film writing some of the some of the greatest films that have ever been written i think yeah like we've talked about a few of them in the past just in passing uh the odd couple was which is one that i my favorite comedy yeah it's just fantastic uh an incredible talented actor or actor excuse me a talented writer we we had wrapped it. I was just scrolling through a couple of things real quick. I saw it and I just kind of did like a double take. Yeah. So um, we did hope... talk. We did talk about his murder by death just yes. recently. So uh, yeah, just one of the, one of the legends of of both Broadway and film. And um, so it's the end of an era, and I hope his family as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I should also mention too that. He, 
he was 91 when he passed away. He was still working. Yeah. I mean, he was still doing the occasional writing and stuff, even some for television. Apparently, he even looks like he even wrote an episode or two for the new Odd Couple series. Not I, surprising. Yeah, it's just an amazing, amazing man uh, with obviously just a a zest for life and just to keep working and everything and lived a good long life and left us with some amazing comedies. So uh, I know we, we've talked about his stuff in the past. I think we will talk about some of his, his stuff in the future as well as it kind of comes up. And we, uh, other, I know there's a couple films on our list that we, that we want to watch. That was penned by Neil Simon. So we will talk about him more in the future, but uh, it's a very sad day. It's unfortunate, especially yeah. when somebody, it's it's not one of those cases like oh I didn't know he he was still alive and like he was not only still alive he was still working yeah you know, that's amazing so so yeah the unfortunately sad news uh, sad news to hear and uh, yeah best to his family and uh, to all his fans everywhere you know go watch one of his films and <laughs> and remember have and a enjoy. laugh on him exactly uh, with that though let's uh, let's go ahead and take our break and uh, when we get back we're gonna l- Bring it back up a little bit as we talk about another comedy, uh, 1999's Mystery Ben. comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life. Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee. When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point. Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor. I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down. We want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off and the knife fell out. And then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady Sif. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film. Well, I'd like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like scrubbing the windows on the Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine! There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine says there's a guy on the wing. (laughs) Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six from Battlestar Galactica. Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to life. Excelsior. All right, yeah, we're back. Yeah, it's hard to believe that this was almost 20 years ago that this movie came out. Although it was funny, I just mentioned we watched it all as a family yesterday, and I mentioned the uh, like, hey Ben, did you recognize the guy that played Invisible Boy? He's like, no, why? He's like, he plays Double G in your your Game Shaker show, (laughs) (laughs) some kid show, some show. It's an annoying program that I can't stand, but he loves it. But he's a character, and I was like, well, it was twenty years ago, so he has changed a little bit, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, Kel Mitchell. He's been uh, he's been acting since he was a kid. Mm -hmm. On all that, and then Keenan and Kel, and he was doing this at the time to try to break into movies. I think he stepped away from acting for a while, but then only came back recently, you know, relatively recently. Right. But uh, it had been a long time since I'd seen this film. Uh, It you were talking; it'd been almost a decade since you saw Jaws. I'm going to say it's ten to fifteen years. Since I watched Mystery Men last, at least a decade, I'm going to say. I think it's been about that long for me, too. Maybe I saw like some clips here and there over the last few years, but I really wanted to give this a rewatch for a couple of reasons. One, because everything's superheroes right now. Absolutely. It's what we're always bringing up. And two, I feel this movie was so ahead of its time that if it came out now, it would just be beloved. 
it would be the first of a trilogy yeah. of, of something. Yeah. You know, because it's not a spoof movie, Mm-mm. but it kind of has that vibe that it is of just like pointing out these different things about superhero movies and yes. superhero oh, tropes. Oh, yeah, it definitely has fun with the superhero tropes yeah. without actually making a joke right. at their expense, I guess. Yes. It, it, it walks that nice line of having fun with without making fun of. Right, and I feel that more than any other movie, because so many times you get these movies and they're like, well, we're going to ask the question, what if this character existed in the real world? What if mm-hmm. Superman was real? What if Spider-Man was real? And this just says, well, what if superheroes were real? And it takes an honest look at that. Yeah. So what you would have to do to become a superhero and – it's not easy. It's boring. It's frustrating. <laughs> it puts a, a tax on you and your family. Mm-hmm. It, I, I absolutely just love all of those like questions it asks and the answers they provide. Absolutely. I can almost pinpoint exactly when the last time I could have possibly watched this because I remember I had it on VHS. Okay. Yeah. Going back. <laughs> Going back a ways. And then right before my son was born, we had a big garage sale and I got rid of all my VHS. Okay. And I never bothered to replace it on DVD. You might now. Yeah, so I may, I may go back. I may, <laughs> Is it on Blu-ray? <laughs> I may finally, I may finally add it back to the collection. Because um, yeah, I just kind of borrowed it from the library to watch it for this weekend, which is my kind of go-to <laughs> rental option. You know, you can't be free from the library. It might take you a little while to get it, but can't be. Uh, it is available for streaming for a couple bucks on Amazon if you're really desperate to watch it. So like two ninety nine or something like that. Be which, worth it. Yeah, which you know it's the price of what you used to pay when you went to Blockbuster or something right. like that, or a Red Box or something. We are taking this so far back. <laughs> we are. I know. I can't. Um, so it was a fun film to revisit, and it was one of these things where we got done watching it, and I turned to my wife and I forgot how much fun this movie is. Yes. <laughs> And that was like the consensus as we were all watching it yesterday of, you know, the the graphics and the effects and all that haven't aged well. Like that can be forgiven. It's 1999 on no budget, mm-hmm. you know, just before kind of like that, you know, the second Star Wars boom to really up what like, you know, CGI sure. looked like. Well, they did a nice job of keeping a lot of stuff practical because right. they didn't really have a choice. But right. when they obviously do use some CGI, like the lightning going like across, the lightning or whatever, it does look a little cartoonish. It looks, yes, it looks animated. And but other than that, we were all, we were laughing. Everyone was having a good time. And what we all felt was like that. No actor, like the world, was very kind of campy. You know, it had this very, like, Batman and Robin look to the city sure. and to the way, like, that homemade look to it. But to me, I felt that was the point of, like, everybody, including the villains, are just throwing stuff together of what they got out of their garage. Mm-hmm. You know, like the opening with the red eyes. Like, okay, the, that's just, like, pipe cleaners and stuff <laughs> that you've got on your back. But everyone was serious. This was a mm-hmm. real-world situation, and no one played it up super campy, except maybe the villain. Yeah. But he's supposed to be. He's the villain. Yeah, he's supposed to be over-the-top. He's you supposed know? to be that over-the-top villain. Right. But just seeing how, like, they'd go out, they'd try to stop a crime, and then they gather up at a diner. Like, you know, <laughs> there's just something very real about that. Now, the characters are based off a, uh, a comic series Yeah, that was created and written by uh, Bob Burden, uh, The Flaming Carrot was the comic book, which I'd never I'd, heard of. I've never, I'd heard of, I think, but never read probably because the name flaming carrot just wasn't <laughs> something that you know, made me think, Oh, I need to go seek that out. Uh, from the look of this and from what I've read a little bit of the comic, it actually sounds like something I'd probably really enjoy because it is just that really stupid humor to just pull my finger. <laughs> yeah. Pull my finger. Yeah. The, the flaming carrot of his, his, uh, his origin was like he read like 5,000 comics on a bet, you know, in one sitting, and it brain it gave him brain damage. So he, he turned him into a superhero. Okay. <laughs> and he, he would usually – he doesn't actually have any powers, and he would just usually win just out of dumb luck kind of thing. So, like, that actually could be really fun if it's yeah. written well. So. so, yeah, the movie came out in 1999. And it was directed by Kinka Usher. Mm-hmm. Which is a name you probably have never heard of. Because this is his only feature film. Yeah. Um, was a commercial director for a long time. Won he, a bunch of awards. Yeah. He'd done some assistant uh, camera work and, yeah. and on, some other, on some other films. But this was his only... Right. It, yeah. His only movie. Decides to give it a shot. Um, the movie was a financial bomb. 
because I think it was a $68 million budget. It took in about 33 worldwide. It's so undeserving. It really is. Uh, and then he just decided, you know what, that's not for me. And then he's walked away. And all I can think of is like, good one time only, man. You made a good <laughs> film. Yeah. I don't care what the box office said. Good movie, good one and done. And I think it's a film that, while it maybe failed at the box office, it will survive, you know, as it has yes. on home video and in just people's f- kind of favorite watch lists. Yeah, you know, almost everyone you talk to that has seen this film loves this film. Yeah, it thinks it's great. So that's not a bad. If you're only going to do a, a one hit wonder, <laughs> right? That's the way to do it. And you're looking at it's like 1999, so it's just before like the real superhero renaissance just before x-men just before spider-man it's an interesting place because batman which kind of really kicked off the i think the modern superhero film mm-hmm. was in 89 i think 89 right I think, to and by seven yeah by 99 you started getting the batmans that people would rather forget right and so this thing comes out. And so it's this in this weird right in spot. Between. Right, right in between. And then then the next thing you have is the X-Men that really kind of like, okay, forget about all those bad Batman, you know, and the yeah. and the bat nipples and mm-hmm. things like that. We're going to start Marvel's going to take it, well, I guess it was Fox with a X-Men one. Right. Marvel characters. Though. Yes. And they kicked it off again. Yeah, and this thing just got stuck in that middle. And it's real unfortunate. Yep. You know, if this had just Five years later. Right. <laughs> Ten years later, I think that that would have been like the good spot for it of like 2009, right around like your Dark Knight, right around, you know, your, I don't know, whatever number Spider-Man movie and people. Because that was around the time where people were kind of getting tired of the X-Men movies before like Wolverine was going off and yeah, doing yeah, his sure. own thing. I think that's the part where you're just sort of like... Let's just sort of like, because, you know, you had a few Fantastic Four movies that came out that people were mixed on. That would have been like the perfect spot for it, for this superhero comedy, a genuine comedy. Mm-hmm. Would have been great. Yeah. Ten years too soon. Now, we should talk about the cast. The amazing the cast. cast. And this is what's the amazing, what I find amazing, uh, funny I say it that way, um, because at the time, you correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, the names are all recognizable, and some of them probably had already done some really great stuff. But for the bulk of them, I think they weren't the household names. Not yet. Not yet. They were going to be. Yes. Um, I think at the time, Craig Kinnear, who played Captain Amazing, was probably actually the biggest star. The biggest star. Yeah. The one that people he they knew his name right. because of the uh, the late night work that he had been doing, mm-hmm. and he would just he had just moved into film and right. But everybody else hadn't quite struck that big, oh, I know who that guy is, or I know who that person is. You'd have to tell somebody that, you know, oh, Hank Azaria, you know, he does all the voices on The Simpsons. Right, yeah. (laughs) Things like that. But then you have uh, William H. Macy, you have Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo. When did Fargo come out? I guess it came out. All right, yeah, you don't know. Okay, it came out in 96. So he had actually, that was the film that I think kind of put his face on the map. Sure. So I think maybe it was... At the time, maybe a little surprising to see him in something. People might have thought it was a little surprising to see him in something like this. But I can even see kind of how some of those like cast decisions worked out because if you're looking at like Greg Kinnear as your biggest star at the time, well, that's why he's the superhero, the mm-hmm. successful one. And then I always got the feeling that William H. Macy's The Shoveler was kind of the leader of his team. He seemed sure. like he was a little bit more level-headed than mm-hmm. the rest of them. And so maybe that's how they were trying to balance that out. Right. But then you even had Kel Mitchell, who was like big with kids at the time. You had, you know, Paul Rubens. I don't know where this fell with the controversy. If I'm not mistaken, this was like his first film. Back. Back. Okay. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong about that. But I think after the other hit, the the thing with the movie theater and, you know, Pee Wee's gone and no more films, no more show. And he just disappeared for like a decade or something. And I think this was like kind of one of his first steps back onto the screen all right uh yeah janine garofalo as the bowler Mm -hmm. i love her character she's She's, brilliant yeah she's probably my favorite character in the movie um then you had jeffrey rush playing the most brilliant over the top love his name casanova frankenstein (laughs) yes when his name got mentioned 
at the me yeah, at, at yeah. my place yesterday, everybody just laughed. They were like, "How do you say a Casanova Frankenstein?" That's, it was what perfect. does that mean? Sexy Frankenstein? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, you had Eddie Izzard as Tony P. You had uh, Claire Forlani as mm-hmm. Monica. And then probably like the l- least well-known person was Wes uh, Study as Sphinx. Right. Great cast. It's fantastic. And all name, and uh, I, don't, I don't think you skipped over Ben Stiller. Uh, ben Stiller yeah, as, as, uh, as Mr. Furious. Furious. Yeah. Um, all names that now you go, well, yeah, of course. You know, right. you recognize. 99. Probably right. not so much. And again, ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> Probably couldn't get all of them in 2009. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> it's budget. not for that budget. <laughs> <laughs> not for $68 million. No. No, afraid not. Uh, no, it, it was a fantastic cast. Uh, ben Stiller, I'm kind of a hot and cold on. Uh, I think I've seen some stuff that I that he's fine. He's, he's like, he's Ben Stiller. Right. He's one of those actors where yes. it's just, he's Ben Stiller. And so he has to be in the right role. I think this one, I think, is the right role. Yes. He's very hit or miss, uh, and this was a hit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that perfect, you know, I'm angry kind of thing, but right. I'm really kind of a dope. Like, Yeah, this is his role. Yeah, but you could easily take his character here and his character in, like, something about Mary and say they're the same character. Yeah. You know, you could combine the universes. Yep. Because <laughs> it's Ben Stiller. Uh, but, yes, uh, everyone in there, I think William A. Macy, I, I think, is my favorite character, or uh, favorite actor and favorite character in the film is mm-hmm. the shoveler i just his like you said he's the level-headed one but he's so what's the word he's it's, very deadpan very, well it's not even deadpan he's just yes deadpan but he's very serious he's yeah. very you know i shovel well i shovel <laughs> really well i mean it's just i love that about him and the way he pulls it off and again that's one of these perfect casting things where it's like that wouldn't have worked, I think, with almost anyone else. It had to have been William H. Macy. <laughs> this is true. And then I want, uh, I've always wanted a spinoff that's just him at home. His <laughs> wife is wonderful. I can't remember who plays his wife, but she's amazing. It's just like, I'm going to divorce you. That's fair. <laughs> Those kinds of yeah. things. Yeah, I don't deserve this. Yes. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, and the, um, the whole set directing and everything, like you said, it makes it this surreal out of time out of place city i mean we've got the stretch limo corvette yes <laughs> um uh the william h see uh, the shovelers driving around in an old uh american motors uh rebel station wagon yeah you know from something from the 1950s or something he lives in the house that is like right out of the 1950s out right. of you know, the baby boom era but then um downtown and like the insane asylum it looks like gotham it's all the very right. gothic and uh giant arches and dark streets it's it's great i felt like they were trying to recreate burton a little bit yeah, Bo- oh, yeah absolutely. burton's gotham as well as like burton's edward scissorhands like because the mm. house was right out of edward scissorhands yes it's very bright very colorful it's got a pool in the back bring right. everybody <laughs> yeah and so it was definitely pulling a, a page out of that book and I don't know. Imagine if Burton did direct this movie. You almost, like you were saying, they try to mimic a little bit. When the when the film opens, and it's the music, and it's dark, yeah. and it's the, the clouds, and you're going through the city, and it was it was kind of fun. My son looks at me at that point and goes, I'm guessing this isn't quite as uh, dark and foreboding as the music, <laughs> as the opening <laughs> leads you to believe. Accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, if had they had he directed it, I think we would have lost a little bit of the humor. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. Uh, I'm trying to think, because it's not the director's fault. I think he did a good job. The one thing I did notice I didn't remember, there are a lot of just close-ups talking right into the camera. Yeah, that was an interesting choice. Um, You could have pulled back on that a bit. We Mm -hmm. were pointing it out, just like, can we just see the scene for a second? Like, why is the camera right in everybody's face? Especially when uh, you were talking about uh, the shoveler and his wife, and she's talking to him, and she's actually putting her hand on his face and so you're seeing it as if you're like inside his face you can see the gloves her her rubber gloves you know on the side of the camera and a couple times it just it felt odd to do it that way right so that that's probably one decision and then we were thinking like oh well was that like the director of photography's decision and then we were looking up the director of photography and i can't remember 
a, a, one of the movies that person did was uh, The Untouchables, and we're like, well, there's no scene shot like that. No. In fact, that has one of the best shot scenes in cinema history at the train station. So we're like, it was probably the director. Yeah, I think so. Very possible. Yeah, it was a, that was an interesting choice. Outside of that, I think most everything works pretty well. Yes. Um, there's the uh, the great moment when um, I don't think we're going to spoil anything. If you haven't seen this film after 20 years, you know what's wrong with you. Um, <laughs> when they accidentally uh, kill Captain Amazing, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, we killed him!" And William H. the Shevler's like way off in the back. What do you mean we? I'm over here. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite jokes. But in the that movie. shot is really done. It just highlights like I, nothing to do with this. I'm way in the back. Uh-huh. <laughs> this giant room. That would be me. Like I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, do we want to do like a synopsis of this movie? Because it's it's we a should pretty break good... it down. We should break it down a little bit. Yeah, we got uh, Champion City is uh, protected by Captain Amazing, and he's done such an amazing job. They don't really have that much in the way of super villainy anymore. That doesn't stop a lot of people who want to be crime fighters, want to be superheroes from, you know, doing whatever they can to, uh, to fill in what little gaps there may be. So the film opens and I think it was a, a brilliant, a weird, uh, but it sets the tone so well, old age home yep. with a, you know, synchronized dance number and odd music and it just it sets the stage so well for the rest of the film, and you almost actually after this the so the film sort of leaves that a little bit behind. You almost wish more of what you see in the old folks' home would carry through through the rest of the film. Sure, a little bit, especially the uh, you know the synchronized the dance numbers, that odd music, and everything. Like mm, they could have kept going a little bit more. This is uh, they're having some sort of big party. And the party's broken up by the Red Eyes, which is a big group of gang who have big, big red goggles. <laughs> red goggles, and they just want everybody's watches and teeth and fake eyeball, everything that they can put in a bag. <laughs> they pull off a prosthetic arm from somebody and they keep it because it had a bracelet on it. Uh huh. And uh, in busting is our our trio of stars here: the Shoveler. The Blue Raja and um, Mr. Furious. Furious. The Blue Raja was the Hank Azaria yes. character. And they try to break up the, uh, you know, stop the red eyes. Nope. But they, they fail. And the day is saved by, of course, Captain Amazing. And I don't think we need, we don't need to go step by step. I'm kind of that's fine. literally going through the, that's okay. <laughs> through, through the opening plot. Um, but yeah, so... What's so, next? We, we we find out that Captain Amazing is he is sponsored to the hilt, which is great. I he, think he that's looks like so a NASCAR. Yes, yeah. yeah. He's got all the different logos around, and then somebody tells him, "How do you feel about like Pepsi dropping your endorsement?" And he's like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, I, I haven't heard that. What? Right. So he gets in his car. He's driving away with like his publicist, uh-huh. <laughs> which is wonderful. And so he decides to figure out like what's a good old villain I can bring back and get some good publicity. And they decide to uh, help release his, his true arch rival, Casanova Frankenstein, who's spent the last twenty years in an insane asylum. Right. So they with his. Secret identity, they have him released, they know full well he's a villain, just so he can stop him and save the day and everyone will, like, love Captain Amazing again. Plan doesn't go right, he gets captured, and I just love that part where he's like, hey, what's this thing do? This is uh, the the radio device. A multi-frequency radio detonator. You should be more careful when discarding incriminating evidence. Oh, no, 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 this is an amusing little gizmo. It's really quite cool. Yeah. What, what is it? <coughs> it's a chloroform deploying portable enticement snare. Ah, oh, dang! Oh, Lancy. You really are so predictable. <laughs> Ah, dang, was delivered yep. perfectly. Yes, it was. <laughs> and then he passes out. And then you find out that Casanova Frankenstein has essentially a death ray, and he's going to destroy Champion City and Captain Amazing at the same time. So who's left to defend the city? But all the wannabe superheroes. Right. So the three of them 
start to realize that's what's going on and they realize the three of them aren't enough and so they hold tryouts and then the the montage of the tryouts that could have gone on for 20 more minutes seeing all of those just ridiculous heroes Mm -hmm. was so funny i like the uh the end joke with the uh, wonder woman yes the the one blonde and the one brunette yeah apparently that was that was kind of a um a tip of the hat to the uh, the Wonder Woman comics where uh, Diana Prince had to give up the Wonder Woman um, title and pass it on to someone else for to Artemis or something yep. like that, uh, and who was uh, blonde. blonde. And I, I thought that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they end up with Spleen, whose power is um, flatulence. flatulence. His origin story is one the first I remember the first time I heard the origin story I it was all I could do not to I, I it was so hard to stop laughing <laughs> I love it why you guys so ditching me it hurts my feelings I'm a superhero too I have powers really oh, like what Ooh. so glad you asked excuse me excuse me excuse me well it all started when I was just 13 years of age one day, while walking with some friends, I accidentally cut the cheese. Well, in my adolescent awkwardness, I blamed it on an old gypsy woman who happened to be passing by. Big mistake! The gypsy woman placed a curse upon my head. Because I'd smelt it, she decreed I would forevermore be he who dealt it! Then they uh, recruit Kel Mitchell's Invisible Boy who can turn invisible only when no one, including himself, is looking at him. <laughs> he swears it. it happens because he can feel it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at their recruitment party, they get Janine Garofalo's The Bowler. Who's Daughter of Carmine the Bowler. Your baby bowler. <laughs> whose father was killed when he fell, died when he fell down an elevator shaft. Onto some bullets. Onto some bullets. <laughs> I always suspected foul play, as did I. <laughs> Lines like that. Yes. And so she has her father's skull, which she can hear, no one else can, inside of the bowling ball. And she's probably the most powerful one in the group. Sure. Because the ball, it's like a telekinetic thing. Like, mm-hmm. is she controlling it? Is the the ghost the, of her the, father controlling yeah, it? Yeah. But it flies around. It's a freaking bowling ball. Yeah. It's going to do some damage. Just, I, yeah, I love the uh, the blue Raja there. Hank is there. He's like, let me get this straight. You put your the skull of your father in a bowling ball. She's like, no, the guy at the pro shop. <laughs> <laughs> the guy at the pro Good shop lines. did that. <laughs> so yeah, so that's the team. They go. They see Casanova Frankenstein's car. They smash it up. They get caught up to by uh, the disco boys the disco boys led by eddie izzard who mm-hmm. i love he's he one of my fantastic. favorite comedians and they're about to get killed when all of a sudden the sphinx shows up and saves them and then the sphinx does the whole training montage you need better suits you need to be a better team and has lines that you love were- you're the sphinx and you are fools Tonight, you proved your inexperience. The wise man knows that he is weakest when he thinks himself strong. Wow. You must be like the wolf pack, not like the six pack. Teamwork. Yes. You are not ready to face so great an enemy. Not until you have vanquished the enemy within yourselves. Yes! It's cool, isn't it? He goes right up to the point of being like... Confusing. Who is looking for the painting here? Oh, that was me. Ah, yes. Work well on your new costumes, my friends. For when you care for what is outside... What is inside cares for you. Well, I like the, the one that in particular was the one that gets called out for. <laughs> this is just to break the synopsis a little bit. Ben Stiller's um, Mr. Furious, w- what I love is he's our entry into this world. Yeah. He's like, 
He's us because he's the one that they're talking about. Oh well, yeah. Well, Captain Amazing's got that you know Lance, that billionaire Lance, whatever as his you know patron is like they're the same guy. Oh geez, everyone, no one believes him. <laughs> Lance wears glasses. Captain Amazing doesn't wear glasses. Ben's like or up uh, Ben. Furious tells him, well, he takes it off when he transforms. But then he couldn't see. <laughs> you know? He he is us. He's the one who calls out all the BS that yes. goes on in this world, and no one believes him. I love that. Right. And so he's talking about the Sphinx, who just goes around and spouts out this weird, you know, if uh, if you don't learn to control your rage, what, my rage is going to control me? That's what you're going to say, right? Not necessarily. <laughs> But yeah, it's just sort of that like backwards formulaic kind of way of teaching lessons. And they're all like, wow, yes. So yeah, Furious has his moment where he breaks away from that because he can't deal with it. He goes back to the diner where Claire, uh, is it Claire? Yeah, that's no, Cla- Cla- Claire's the actress. Monica, I think. Monica is the, is the character. And then she kind of like sets him straight and says like, you know, they're your friends and you know, they'll back you up. And so he goes back, he rejoins. That kind of sets up a quick like love interest with him and Monica. Mm-hmm. And so they, they also meet up with this like non-lethal weapons expert. Dr. Heller. Yes. Who has, you know, the tornado in a can and the underwear shrink ray and the, 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 what is it? The the blame cannon or I, the blame thrower? The blame my thrower. favorite weapon. I love the blame thrower. <laughs> you would use that. <laughs> Absolutely. Get out of my way. <laughs> Argue with each other. <laughs> and then they storm uh, Casanova Frankenstein's castle, and they use these new weapons. And but then you've got. Mr. Furious, who starts to realize, I don't actually have any superpowers. I just pretend. And mm-hmm. he's having an existential crisis. They're trying while... to snap him out of him. They're trying to insult him. Doesn't that make you angry? No. You dress like a male prostitute. <laughs> Nothing? <laughs> Your penmanship is atrocious. <laughs> you know, they're actually doing really well. And, you know, they're using these non-lethal weapons and they're defeating everybody. And, you know, their training is actually coming out. But then all of a sudden, the the invisible eye, the laser eye shows up. And if you won't get too close to it, it's going to zap you. And that's when Invisible Boy's like, this is my moment. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Nobody look at him. His powers won't work. And then he turns invisible. We see it. He turns invisible. And immaterial because yes, his clothes fall off of him. <laughs> Flips the switch. And then he's like, I did it. I'm invisible. Can you see me? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Janine Garofalo here, right there. Yeah. Why don't you put on some shorts or something if you want to fight evil today? <laughs> and so that's the only time Invisible Boy turns invisible, and it's 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 a build-up to a good joke. Absolutely. So uh, Mr. Furious catches up to Casanova Frankenstein, who's abducted Monica, which I don't think they show. They show that the uh, the disco boys are, are tailing him and following him, and okay. they see they – see they see them together. So you okay. know that they have We were all talking. We connection. missed it. We were okay. like, when did they get there? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then he tries to go fight Casanova Frankenstein. He gets his butt kicked. And then his powers actually come out mm-hmm. for real. And he beats the hell out of Casanova Frankenstein, throws him into his own death ray. Saves the day. Right. And then they get together as a group, like the Sphinx taught them. And then the bowling ball destroys the machine and they save the day there you go but earlier in the film when they tried to go save captain amazing they accidentally get him killed and that's when that great line pops up but nobody points out that captain amazing is dead and the city just sort of accepts these new heroes and that's how it ends well don't know if you accept them or not it's just they're they're the ones that are coming out of the out of the smoke but uh, nobody says where's Captain Amazing. That's so true. That's we true. Uh, we kind of got him yeah. killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hard cheese that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you just could see Blue Rasha trying to, uh, you know, explain it away somehow. Right. And then in pure late '90s fashion, it ends on a Smash Mouth song. <laughs> yes. Well, of course. It's such a brilliant film. I mean, that's a good synopsis, by the way. Too. You got you hit all the highlights without really getting. Uh, down to the nitty gritty, which I think I probably would have in a few places. Because <laughs> there's so many good moments. There's there so many are. good details. And great lines. The writing yeah. is fantastic throughout this. I think the screenplay was actually written by a uh, Neil Cuthbert. Yeah. Which I couldn't find any other credits for. Right. 
This was just like a happy accident of all these people that came together that didn't work in movies before and wouldn't work in movies again. And they made what I think is excellent. Yeah. It's surprising. It, and it, it must be because of when it when it happened. And, you know, like you said, there was a box office failure. And it seems unfortunate because you watch this film today and you think, why wasn't there a sequel? I mean, yeah. you expect there to be more mystery men. Yes. And... There's not. And it's like it almost makes you sad when you watch this film. You remember how much fun it is and you're like, oh, there was there was no more. <laughs> I, I almost feel as though you could 20 years later bring this cast back together and it would be really funny to see what these characters are doing 20 years later. Maybe they're bored. Maybe they split up. You know, anything. Just show me Shoveler's family again. Like, just show his oh, kids I would love to up. see him maybe retired and his one youngest, his one young son who, who, like, who, who keeps, I believe in you, Daddy. Yeah. You know, he's like son of Shoveler. Yes. <laughs> that would be awesome. You know, Janine Garofalo is just, you know, just her wonderful self of just being sarcastic and grumpy all the time. <laughs> oh, I love that part where you know uh, she gets revenge because it's Eddie Izzard's character that killed her dad. Right. Like, I'm the one who gave your daddy the shaft. Mm -hmm. Then she gets his re or her revenge on him and he dies and she's like, there, I'm going back to graduate school. That was the deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you, you do wonder sometimes how much of it was written and how much it was because you had some talented people. Yes. Talented people who know how to write themselves. Uh, Hank Azaria was a, is a voice actor and a writer. Janine Garofalo, who's quick-witted, you know, stand-up comedian. You wonder how much of this stuff was kind of thrown in. Yeah. I, I did read that uh, some of the stuff um, in the very end when they're all kind of in, uh, interviewing them as they're stepping out of the, out of the, the smoke or whatever, Janine Garofalo uh, spout goes off about uh, seeking out independent film and music or whatever. That was all just her off the cuff because they, they really didn't have – they didn't know what anybody should say. So they just, you know, whatever. Just say whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, – I, I wonder about things like William H. Macy's uh, when he goes off about, you know, how about all the unsung heroes and, the, you know, the person that drives the bus and, you know, the, the lunch lady. That's hard. <laughs> yes. That was a great part. <laughs> and again, it's the kind of lines where it's like anybody else, it wouldn't have worked. No. It had to be these people. Yes. So, yeah, I think that would be like a if you could ever revisit it. That would be like a fun thing to, of like 20 years later. <laughs> what are the mystery men up to? And even if you couldn't get them all back. Right. You know, get get the ones that you can. Get them the, to cameo. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, get them to show up for set for a day. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have to be in the whole story. Right. That would be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this movie is, is an absolute gem that I recommend to anybody who likes superhero movies because it is a genuine superhero comedy. And you know what's fun? A lot of times when we watch films, you know, which are going on 20 years from now, there's moments where you're kind of like, mm, you got to have to go, well, well it, was of, it was of its time or whatever. And this one I don't really think has many of those moments. No, because it does kind of like what we've said about like Batman before of like it's in that world that it's like it's otherworldly, but it's also a different time period. But there's no time period that's ever quite looked like that. So it exists in its own universe. So it's timeless. But you almost would expect, honestly, if this film was made today, you would get almost, or even just a few years later, maybe, you might get some, especially with like the Blue Raja character. Sure. Um, you would get jokes about uh, homosexuality sure. or, you know, uh, or you get some uh, homophobic references or something like that. They're, they're, they're not here. Right. And I was happily surprised about that that yeah none of it none of the characters despite that you could have instances where you could get some uncomfortable or some misogynistic mm -hmm. it's not there no not the, at all. The, the the sexism and everything that you might expect from a film from 20 years ago not really in this film it's like that makes it even more fun. I mean, it, it holds up that to like today, this is the kind of the movie that you want to see. Right. Even the, the blue Raja character where you're like, that could like walk that line of being inappropriate. He's like, well, actually, if you know your history, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, just cause uh, the guy's the hero, he should get the girl or whatever. I mean, in this film, the girl really is responsible for saving him. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Which, which is a nice turnaround. Yeah. She still kind of becomes a damsel, but, you know, it's 
she's she's made into a victim and it's like they helped each other and yeah. they got there together. Yeah, he gets the girl, but only because he finally he saw what she was trying to say the whole time. About, right. You just need to be yourself. Don't yeah. try to be this fake person. And so now that's why she likes him, because mm-hmm. he's finally made that step. Yes. Like that works. Exactly. <laughs> and it's quick. It doesn't take up a huge chunk of the movie. And yeah, it's perfectly acceptable to me. Yes. No, it's a it's a brilliant film. It's one that everyone should seek out. If you haven't seen it, you know, please do. Do yourself a favor. And if you have, and I'm guessing it's been a while since you've seen it, watch it again. Absolutely, because it's it is just it's such a fun film to revisit. And I'm I'm torn between kind of wanting to watch it more often and maybe doing the every ten years just to keep reminding so I can watch it again and be reminded about how much fun it is. Yeah, I, that's probably not a bad idea, just because. It's a comedy, and you mm-hmm. kind of want to like let jokes, you know, rest for a bit before you yeah. go back to them. Yeah, yeah. If you hear them over and over again, they're not as much fun. All right, we got a letter. We got a letter of letters. Stephen D. I Sullivan. I think we got a manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen D. Sullivan wrote in, and uh, I think I've got this good. He he wrote in, and uh, in the first paragraph there was some. Um, I was a little confused about what he was trying to say. I asked him to clarify, so he did. But then we actually got kind of a back-and-chain, back-and-forth email chain a little bit. But And each one kind of added to the points. So I had to, like, compile it all together <laughs> into one thing. So I think I've got it all, or at least the theme okay. <laughs> correct. So if not, Steve, you can uh, – next time you can – Write again. <laughs> you, can, you can write again. All right, so it's from Stephen D. Sullivan. He writes, Hi, guys, catching up on the podcast a bit. I totally agree with your post-Fire and Ice discussion. Now, this is when you know, he was actually mm-hmm. on the show where he talked about Fire and Ice, but I think the next episode that we recorded, I think something else might have come up in like current events or something that kind of still played into the whole, uh, yeah. the whole damsel in distress and all that stuff. And so we brought it up again and, and discussed it. So I totally agree with your post-Fire and Ice discussion. Tigra's lack of agency, her heroism, and ability to control her fate should have been uh, – I'm sorry. This is where where it kind of got messed up. He felt that she should have had more control over her her ability, Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, She should have had more agency than she had had. In a lot of films, women still lack that agency, and it pisses me off. While things have gotten have been getting better on the women's agency front, there are still plenty of films where the main female characters are mere props for the story or goals for the male characters to win or end up being put in the freezer, written out for the sequel, which is exactly what we were talking about. But I'm not entirely sure that lack of agency for Tigger would keep Fire and Ice from being made or remade. I do, however, think that the level of casual near nudity for both the male or female characters would either keep the film from being made or cause the characters to be covered up in a way that isn't really faithful to Verzetta's work, which at its core was largely about beautiful and powerful bodies in peril and action. Really, Frazetta is an R-rated world, and what filmmakers today want is a PG or PG-13 at most film. And while nudity might have been acceptable in a 70s or 80s PG film, I don't think the same is true today. I had the same thought while watching Conan the Destroyer last night. Conan is an inherently R-rated character, and you lose some of what makes him Conan when you put him in a PG world. I'd like to see a live-action remake, hopefully R-rated, of Fire and Ice, and I'd certainly think the agency problems could and should be fixed. I'd be happy to help and write a new screenplay story if they ask. Again, Stephen D. Sullivan. Author, Stephen D. Sullivan. And hey, I'm sorry if I was a bit of an overwhelming guest to team with a, a newcomer. What can I say? I'm pretty good at speaking my mind and defending my opinions, on art and films at any rate. I had a good time, and I hope Chad did too. I'd be happy to come back and chat anytime you all want. So yeah, that yeah, we did comment that you know, Chad's first podcast, we pit him against. <laughs> Although they, they, those two were kind of more on the same side. They were yeah. both fans of Frazetta's. And I think there is a, a, a lot to that. We were actually even discussing it just last episode where depending on where and talking about fandoms you know depending on where you are in your life when a certain thing comes around you like one thing more than another those two are obviously fans of Frazetta and then therefore find more Mm -hmm. fire and ice than you and I who really weren't familiar or as familiar with his work were watching it all right so Stephen D. Sullivan continues where the wild things are 
Believe it or not, aside from the character's backstory, all the ideas about childhood and parents and emotions and responsibility and learning to live with other people and imagination and more that you discuss from the film are actually present in the original children's book. That's what makes it a great book and one of the greatest children's books of all time. That's why it's a classic. All of that in 40 lushly illustrated pages, many of which have a few, if any, words. It's a deep little book. I know that you and I may never agree on this, Chris, but because, as my librarian wife says, this may be a book that you have to come to as a child to really understand it, though it's been in print ever since I remember getting the book when I was a kid, right around the time it originally came out. But I hope that maybe at some point you can see that it's more than a book about a child who acts out. He certainly does. And isn't punished. He is punished. And his mother doesn't go back on that punishment by supplying his dinner after he's calmed down and, in story context, probably taking a nap. Though perhaps the punishment is not as severe as you'd hope and doesn't learn anything. Max learns several valuable lessons in the book. The book and the movie share the same heart and soul and lessons. It's Sendak's genius that he can do in 40 pages of the same thing and that he can do in 40 pages the same things that it takes a film 144 minutes. You're still my friend, even if you never manage to see that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm not going to keep going back and forth on the, back to the, uh, I've already said that, you know, listening to your discussion and whatever has changed my view on the, uh, on sure. the film, certainly. And if people see that in the book as well, I'm, we're putting that argument to bed. I'm, I'm not going to talk about, uh, where the it's wild things are said. anymore. Exactly. Thor Ragnarok. I think maybe what bothered you about the film was what bothered me too. I liked it quite a lot in many places, but it also seemed clear to me that there were many places where it meandered off script with ad-libbed lines, mostly jokes, and many of those were little bumps in the flow of the film and actually slowed or otherwise interfered with the pacing, suspense, etc. of the movie. Like I said, I joined the film. There were more than a few times when I thought, oh, they're off script there. Again. So, yeah, maybe, maybe a little bit. I thought the, that film just went to the humor a little too often to me, for me. John Carter. Really good, but not perfect film. Certainly a strong enough film for those of us who are fans of Burroughs' Mars series to support and want more. I still want more, and I'm even fine with the original cast and crew. I think some of the problems with it are the idea of making it a series, trilogy, or whatever, force the third Uber story on top of the rest of the plot and and add it in Carter's backstory arc too. There are therns in the books, but they're not the same. And John Carter is one of those heroes who changes the world rather than being changed by the world. Hollywood doesn't seem to understand those heroes nowadays. The stories are fairly straightforward fantasy action adventure stories. So mostly the series has plots that are one and done, though every book ends with a cliffhanger, and early on the cliffhangers are whether John and De Deja are reunited again. So him returning to Mars and her having moved on because he's been gone for 10 years, as y'all speculated, totally violates one of the premises of the series, the idea of true love and devotion lasting forever. He waits for her, she waits for him. Neither is dead. After all, they're just separated by time and space. And the process of him getting to Mars is much more mystical in the books, requiring no therns. Oh, and for what it's worth, the book starts with Edgar Rice Burroughs telling the tale of how he got this amazing and strange manuscript from his uncle John. So that part of the movie is totally true to the original series, whether you like that idea or not. For Burroughs fans, it was a nice touch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I also think you underestimate how much the marketing was botched on this film. I'm not surprised that the suits would try to blame it all on the director. But if that were true, why did this blockbuster franchise tentpole movie have no merchandising associated with it? Where were the toys, posters, Happy Meals, etc., etc.? Where's my Deja Thoris Disney princess doll? The lack of merchandising makes it clear that something more was going on with John Carter's marketing, just bad marketing decision by two or or a really creative and smart director. Really? Stanton screwed it up? Disney? No. There's a book called, if, called, if I recall, John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood that details the amazing number of corporate screw-ups that went into making John Carter a flop, or maybe just break even. Chief among them was a change of leadership at the studio. The old guy was out, and the new guy didn't want his predecessor's legacy to be a major hit on his way out the door. So the new regime basically made sure that anything associated with the old regime got starved for resources and brain power. Did they want to lose money? No. But they didn't want to be saddled with a property and a series that the old guy had brought in. They wanted to focus on their new ideas. 
and John Carter, which could have used a better title, better marketing, and at least one more story and film edit, got screwed. Despite all that, it's still a good film, which is kind of amazing. Oh, and Woola, the faithful Martian hound, is in the books, and the film version is pretty much in line with Woola as Burroughs created him. He was the only character I cared about. Yeah, he's my favorite. Someday, I hope we get more live-action John Carter, and I want that Deja Thoris doll. (laughs) Okay. All right. It's fine. Unpopular film opinions. (laughs) I probably have more of these than spring to mind at the moment. Like Nick, I too like Hudson Hawk, and so does my wife. I think Monster Squad is maybe a good movie, though not great, but I came to it as an adult. If I had seen it as a kid, I might love it. I think Son of Kong is a really good movie and a worth and a worthy sequel too. I think that Emmerich's Godzilla is a good giant monster movie, though it's a crap Godzilla movie, which is why we call it Godzilla in name only. I think Dwayne Johnson would make a great Doc Savage. I would agree with that. Did you ever hear about did you know anything about the Doc Savage? I know yeah, it. okay. That's it. I agree that Spielberg no longer knows how or when to end a film. Nearly all of his films I've seen recently have at least one ending too many, including Lincoln and stretching back to at least Minority Report. The film ends when the pre-cram predicted is never committed. Did this start with AI? Tom Cruise may have a nutty religion, but I've enjoyed pretty much every film I've ever seen him in. That includes The Mummy, which could have been better, but... On that track, I really like Night and Day. Funny film worth seeing. I've not seen that one. Tom Cruise, yeah. I think the Dark Universe can and should be saved. And they should hire me and some of my friends to overhaul and write it. By the way, you guys should see the Godfather films. I don't think they're the best films ever, but they're certainly good films and worth seeing. No. Being widely lauded doesn't detract from that in the same way it doesn't detract from Citizen Kane or my favorite, Casablanca. There are films you should see for your film's ed- film education, if nothing else, and chances are you'll enjoy them. No. <laughs> All right. Forgot one thing. How do you guys know that Tarantino was overrated and that his films are now derivative if you haven't actually seen any of them since Kill Bill 2? For all you know, the ones he's done since Grindhouse, Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, and The Hateful Eight might be your favorite films of his if you actually watch them. Maybe here's another of the unpopular film views. Tarantino was making films exclusively for his enjoyment. That's true. Oh, I've always thought that was the case with Tarantino. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think we're talking about his films being derivative. It wasn't being derivative of his stuff. It's being derivative of other Other stuff. Other stuff. And I'd, I'd more, I'm more likely to go back and watch the original stuff that he's, the same stuff that he's watched and enjoyed and now making films about or in films in the same genre. I'd, more likely to go see those than I am his. Yeah, I think he's just a great big film fan who loves yeah. all of these different things, and he's like, now I want to make mine! Yeah, and, and there yeah, it is. I'm not going to fault him for that. No, not I, at all. I, absolutely not, and you know, if he has the tools and you know, and the ability to do it... I they mean, keep giving him money to do it. He's yeah. going to do it. And I don't think, for him. I don't think any of us would make any other decisions. You know, if right. someone said, hey, you like movies, you want to direct, you know, make your own? Yes. Here's all the <laughs> stuff? Yeah, absolutely you would, so... When it comes to Tarantino, without going too far, he's still got more to write here. So I, <laughs> without going too far down the rabbit hole, I just don't feel like you need to make a film uber violent for the sake of making it uber violent. You don't need to make it uh, the language uber blue just for the sake of making it that yeah. way. You know, it's just those are the things that just turn me off for him as sure. a filmmaker. You know, you don't need to see all the visceral gore and whatever. I, I don't need or want to see that. So, so there you go. There you go. Uh, Steve continues, in any case, my advice would be to never take mass marketing reviews or the buzz of movies as relayed on the internet as a reason not to see a film. People are on the whole film idiots and the stuff they like is often stupid and the stuff they don't like often above their heads. With Roger Ebert dead, there are no big market film reviewers worth trusting anymore. Recommendation from a friend is usually enough to get me to see a film, but seldom enough to get me to not see a film I was previously interested in. Even my wife and I don't agree on films 100%, and she knows me better than anyone ever has. So don't listen to what they say. Go see the film. Make up your own mind. That's my advice anyway. All right, that's more than enough for now. Just think of how long this might have gone on if you had a call-in line. 
Have fun reading it on the air. <laughs> Keep up the good work, Steve Sullivan. Well, I would remind you that you could record it all to an MP3 <laughs> and email that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, actually, get lost. <laughs> it might get lost. Yeah, and it kind of breaking it down into a letter at least gives us a chance to comment on it uh, here and pause, there. Pause. Talk. Pause. Talk. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Uh, all great. Thankful. Thank you very much for that awesome letter and some great points. Um, I mean, we spoke and mentioned, you know, as much as I think we really need to on all the topics uh, that you that you brought up at this point. I, I never take everyone's word for if, if, if a film interested me, I'm going to go see it at some point. You know, yeah. even if everyone tells me it's horrible. Same. Okay, well, then maybe I'm not going to spend the $15 to see it in the theater. Right. I'll wait and get it from the library, or I'll wait till it's available on some free streaming or something like that. Um, but I'll, I'm still going to watch that movie, and maybe everyone's right. <laughs> or right. maybe, maybe as it's often the case with me, I'm usually the lone wolf that, <laughs> that, that loves some film that everyone else hates and vice versa. So The Phantom. <laughs> like The Phantom, exactly. So, so yeah, thank you very much, Steve. It was really, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to throw that all together and write us. I'm sure that took you a little while. He said that in the beginning, uh, when I was emailing him, that he probably started writing and then got distracted, had to go do something, then came back to it. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. If you want to do that, if you want to be like Steve, send us a nice letter, even if it's that long. It's all right. Uh, send it to timeshifterspodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, always feel free to leave any comments on any posts we make over on the Facebook group or uh, tweet at us at TimeshiftersPod and at Movies at the Mat. So anything else that you wanted to? I'm good. All right, then we will close this episode out. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, bye, everybody. <laughs>